Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Nathan, and I am here with my co-host, Conductor Karen. Yo, 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 what's up? (laughs) Got a new nickname. (laughs) A new nickname. Why would I call you Conductor Karen? Because today, Nathan said I was allowed to No, that is not what I said. (laughs) Do not put those words in my mouth. What did I actually say? said, today I was driving the train, and then I went, choo-choo, and so he called me Conductor Karen. So you've been Curriculum Karen and Nurse Karen, and now you're Conductor Karen. Yeah. I love it. I'm a cool kid. Hey, uh, tell everybody, what's new in your life right now? What's new in my life? Oh, I'm an aunt. That's right. Uh, Y'all, my sister (laughs) had a baby, and he's perfect. I'm so certain. (laughs) He's 100% perfect. His name's Brayden, and I could not be more thrilled. Nice. I love it. Congratulations. Thank you. What's your sister's name? Kimberly. Kimberly. Congrats, Kimberly. Woo! Today we have Christy Shermack and Paige Delgado who help lead our Watermark Urgent Care Clinics. There's one in Dallas here, just down the road from the church, and there's also one in Plano. But we're just going to be talking about what it looks like to put your faith in action. We are pumped today to have some friends with us in the studio. One of them is Christy Shermack. Christy, what's up? Take number three, I'm doing great. There you go. I love it. Crushed it. (laughs) We've also got Paige Delgado. What's up, Paige? Hey, guys. You doing all right? I'm great. Love it. Love it. Well, hey, uh, we'll just let you guys introduce yourself real quick, and then we'll let conductor Karen drive this train. That is so embarrassing. I love it. Why would you say that? Because it's so true. You've you've been curriculum Karen, which you definitely are, and then nurse Karen, which kind of it fits today. It fits today, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, but also today fits conductor Karen because you're going to drive the train. We're going to see if that's actually true. Sometimes Nathan says that and then it's not <sighs> real. Okay. I'm going to do my best. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Christy, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do around here? And So I've been coming to Watermark for about 10 years. I actually became a believer through this church. Before that, I had grown up going to church and being around church things, but this was the place where I first understood the gospel and responded to it and started a relationship with Jesus. And so um had been coming here for about five or six years while working in the engineering industry and at a consulting firm, was helping out there, learned a lot there about what it looked like to live out my faith in that environment and um, learned a lot through programs and teachings at Watermark on how to be a follower of Jesus. And about five years into that, uh, got approached about an opening at the nonprofit urgent care clinic we were running at the time to help lead and serve there. And so I came on into that role about four or five years ago. And in my spot, I get to just help think through how can Watermark have an impact on our city and healthcare. Right now, we have two nonprofit urgent care clinics that we're running. And um, over time, we're trusting the Lord for what's next. And so we're getting excited just kind of in this season to think through what other areas he might have us headed towards in healthcare. So Love. that's what I get to do. So what, what did you study in school? Like you're working for an engineering firm. Civil engineering. Nice. And then my master's was in environmental. So paid a lot now, of money to do. And now you work for that. an urgent care clinic. For, correct, did you ever correct. see yourself here? No, no. Um, I probably I became a believer right after college. And so I probably knew around that time, like, hey, I did not process the engineering decision with God. Mm. So there'll probably be a change at some point. Never would have looked for medicine. I, if I mm. had my pick, I'd be in Hollywood writing movies. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, that's a, I didn't great. know that. So stay tuned. We'll see you. what happens. I love next. it. Yes. I don't know. She's, she's, she's pretty good at the medicine that. now. Like, Christy, yeah. what's the treatment for everything? Acetaminophen. Yep. <laughs> I've learned a lot. I've learned <laughs> a lot. I know how to take vitals. Yep. Um, 
and I know how to talk about acetaminophen. It's comical when staff at Watermark come to Christy for medical advice. Yeah. That happens a lot. That That's so lot. cool. After well, you do run the Yeah, clinic, so. I understand why they do, but very yeah. quickly, I'm like, not a nurse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can yeah, tell you yeah. how to find one. So connect the dots for me. Like, why did we approach you about... Uh-huh. That's the- a good question. <laughs> Because uh, Jeff Ward's a little crazy. No. So our um, uh, mission's kind of an outreach pastor. I had worked with them on other projects over the years, uh, including an anti-sex trafficking ministry Watermark uh, helped yeah. to start. And so I think they just kind of saw the gift mix of leadership and yeah. development, organizational thinking strategy. And they kind of said, hey, that could be a good fit in this role. I love it. Um, yeah. Well, from what I know, you're crushing it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying. Well done. Paige. Yes. Who are you? Uh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm Paige. <laughs> the real star. Yeah. The yeah, tell us about how awesome you are. Okay. Well, where do I begin? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I started coming to Watermark around 2008, spent about three years playing church, and then 2011 would say the Lord actually changed my life. Um, and was, I've been a nurse for, gosh, over a decade now. And the first eight years I spent working in critical care, um, first three at Parkland and ICUs and ER, and then the next five at Children's Medical Center in the cardiovascular ICU. And so finally become a member here at Watermark and was serving in the children's ministry holding babies and heard about this little clinic they were starting. I was like, well, that's a way better place for me to go use my gifts. I'll just go there and be a nurse. That'll be really easy. Um, So I started serving at the clinic right when it opened um, in 2013 and showed up thinking I'd just get to take vitals and maybe still hold babies and, you know, just in the clinic now. And then remember the first time Ryan Martin, shout out our old PA, um, asked me to go discharge a patient. He said, okay, I want you to go let go of room two and then pray for her. I was like, what are you, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't do that. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's someone else's job, right? Yeah. Um, and so um, it was at the clinic that really challenged me to learn how to share my faith and that I wasn't just supposed to show up and take vitals, um, you know, and that's not how we bring healing. And so mm. um, the clinic has been transitional in my life. And so it was um, there for about three years serving and kind of serving as a leader in the clinic, um, trying to help with some of the volunteer things. And um, when Christy came on, we had actually become friends and serving in some other opportunities together. And so she asked me actually a couple of times, took about three times. Um, for her to convince me to come on staff, but finally just saw that it was um, just the right time and the Lord's mm-hmm. provision for me to come on staff um, full time. So I've been there for about four years now, and my job is to kind of run the day-to-day operations, managing um, the medical side of things, the patient care, um, and really the biggest part is managing the volunteers and discipling and shepherding and training them to do what I have learned to do there myself. Yeah, so. yeah. It was a crucible for you, so now you're making it one for other people. It's comical that the girl who would show up and say, hey, I am not gifted in evangelism. I do not know how to share my faith and don't ask me to pray for someone that it is now my job to train others to do that. (laughs) If there's not a bigger testament to the power of Jesus, I don't know. Good, That's really good. Well, part of the reason that we wanted to have you all on is that we just see both of you and the people that you're leading living out the theology that we talk about on this podcast every single week. And so... The clinic is this really unique place where you get to meet both physical and spiritual needs. We see Jesus do that in the gospel, and y'all are living it out. And so help us understand why do you think meeting both physical and spiritual needs is important? And then how do you think this helps you share Jesus with people? Yeah, I think they're inseparable. We spend a lot of time coaching our volunteers through how do you engage well in a room. And so we don't want to have a culture where people walk in and negate the physical need and just are, you know, throwing the Bible at the patient and feels like a bait and switch. They came in here for healthcare and now all of a sudden we're just talking about Jesus. And on the same tone, I would say in our culture, the lie we're tempted to believe is that 
Jesus is not helpful mm. and it's like a side shoot and it's a band-aid, but we know from scripture and just from truth of how the cosmos were created that that is integral to understanding how to care for the physical body. So, so often what they've come in for is actually rooted in social issues in their life, in relational gaps in their life, in a, a lack of understanding of their value. And so really it's very, very natural. People always think that this is going to be some weird side shoot conversation that happens, but it's actually very ingrained. So when someone comes in, they say, hey, I have chest pain that I need help talking through. When you dig a little, it's actually, it might be anxiety. And the anxiety is coming from, they don't know who God is. They don't know who they are. They need help navigating that, building healthy relationships in their life. And so some of that happens so naturally and, and it has to happen that way. Otherwise, we're giving them medicine for chest pain and not addressing the root of it. So mm -hmm. I think they're inseparable. If you're doing good medicine, you're asking those kinds of questions about people's life. So I've just finished up a project in the medical field today and some of the research I did. The pharmacological solution to the problem is so dominant that a lot of times we don't integrate the two. Right. Because you're talking about social structures, mm -hmm. you're talking about justice issues, mm -hmm. you're, you're talking about poverty, yep. you're talking about all these different things. Those are environments that a lot of these symptoms arise out mm -hmm. of. Mm -hmm. And the gospel speaks into that. Right. So you guys are able to, hey, yeah, we definitely want to address the fact that you have chest pain. Right. You know, like we're not going to ignore that. But also, this is what the gospel right. says about right. this whole situation. Another small example, even different than like maybe an issue like anxiety would be someone that comes in with back pain. You can't treat their back pain if you don't ask enough questions to find out, hey, you work in a factory and you have a really hard physically demanding job and you're standing up constantly and you're in maybe a, a household situation where you're having to work two jobs. Like those are the kinds of things you need to know to serve someone well in medicine. And so, so much of what we do is just getting to know our patients and then it allows you to make accurate medical decisions on what is the physical part of this that we can help with and then what are some of the social things that the church could be a great resource for. Can we send you to our job finding ministry to help you find a better role? Can we help educate you on how to stand differently at work so that you don't have the back pain? All of those little things are, you're one body, but you're a spirit. And so those things are intertwined in separately. Yeah. And the opposite mistake, which happens a lot in Christianity, is something I call spiritual pharmacology, uh -huh. which is, hey, <laughs> your physical symptom is solely right. a spiritual problem. Mm -hmm. So we just need to like throw Bible verses at you and pray stuff like that. You. Pray over you. Just yeah. pray it away. Right. You know, and we're like, no, we're no. the human body, the way God created us is so woven together in such intricate connectedness mm -hmm. that it's very difficult to separate the two. Mm -hmm. And so the holistic approach of body, mm -hmm. spirit, mind, mm -hmm. all of those things. Mm -hmm. Well, and medicine is a gift. Like God has mm -hmm. gifted yeah. Yeah, people totally. in order to create it, to help and to alleviate pain and to intervene. And so neglecting that would just be mm -hmm. just a waste. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To date that I know of, we have not healed anyone's sore throat by prayer. Um, but <laughs> but you're going to keep trying to see we, Man, you guys, you guys need to really start getting after yeah. it. But I do know that there have been many times when I've been able to take a conversation about a sore throat and relate that pain yeah. to their spiritual condition and, and bring the gospel in through that. And so it's all incredibly relatable. Help us understand, even Christy just said like, hey, we don't want it to be a bait and switch. So we don't want them to come in thinking, oh, I'm going to get 
mm-hmm. acetaminophen. <laughs> there <laughs> for, you go. See, Christy has been trained that acetaminophen is the answer to all medical That's problems. That's not accurate. We do better <laughs> medicine than that at our clinics. That's my joke answer to everything. Uh, it's so funny. <laughs> uh, so how do you help prevent that? When somebody comes in and they think, hey, I'm going to get treated for my sore throat, and then it actually is a ministry, Like, what? how do you ease that transition? What are you doing to love people in the midst of that? Yeah, I think the lie that people in healthcare are believing is that people don't want to talk about both. We did a training a couple of years ago, and I got to share with um, a lot of our volunteers about how JACO, one of the largest governing bodies for healthcare facilities, it's actually a requirement as you do an, an initial admission for patients um, that you take their medical history, but that you also assess their spiritual care. Mm. Um, and so you're required to ask about those things. And Good. what studies have shown is that over 90% of patients answer yes to, hey, would prayer benefit you yeah. wow. for your health care? And so we believe this lie that it's not going to benefit them and that they mm. don't want it and mm. that they're all going to just shut us down and reject us. And really, they're crying for it. They yeah. want it. And so um, we just teach our volunteers, hey, we want to be excellent in everything. The way we practice medicine is going to be excellent, but also the way that we work as a ministry here and, and bring Jesus is going to be excellent too. And and consistently the response we get from our patients is, what is this place? This is incredible. I got so much more than I expected. You know, they walked out with the prescription that they needed, but they walked out with so much more than they expected. Yeah. Well, they're, I mean, they were encouraged. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think about it. There have been a, a number of times just in my experience where, you know, I felt led or whatever to either like randomly pray for someone or to just give them a hug, mm-hmm. you know, you can give them a acetaminophen. That's fine. But give them a <laughs> hug. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, it's a ministry of presence mm-hmm. and it allows the body to do what Jesus created it to do, mm-hmm. you know? Well, that's like even just something as simple as giving them a hug. Like we see in the gospels that the greatest apologetic is love. You have to love people in order for them to hear anything that you have to say about the faith. And so how have you seen that in action at the Mm -hmm. clinic? How do you train your volunteers to do what the things that y'all are talking about? One of our core values that Paige alluded to is excellence. And so even from walking in the door, we want the entire experience to be one that propagates the question, what is this place? People have in their mind a standard for a charity clinic. And our entire time with a patient, we want to just be blowing that out of the water. And so when you get that question, what is this place? It's a very easy transition to the gospel of, hey, we're run by a church. We're here to serve not only your physical needs, but your spiritual ones. So excellence is one way to do that. And so we train our front desk, hey, the second they walk in, you're hosting them. They're not just a piece of paper to fill out or um, somebody put in the computer. You're going to be engaging with them. Our front desk will go above and beyond to make sure that the lobby is looking neat and clean and to talk with patients if they're sitting there and waiting for a while little things like that to in the room, doing things with excellence, getting a chance to sit and ask one more question about their personal life. And then another core value we have is compassion, kind of as Nathan was alluding to, and making sure in medicine, the temptation, because it's overwhelming, like there, there are always going to be people that need healthcare. There's not enough resource. People are always going to get sick again. The temptation in medicine can often become to be burned out and to kind of get jaded with the patients that are in front of you. And so we keep a really high core value of compassion of, hey, make sure you're treating them like the whole human being that they are. And so sometimes it is a small act of a hug. Our pastoral care volunteers do a great job of this, of keeping an eye on, hey, would they need a blanket in the room? They're cold. Or do they need a glass of water? I'll go get that for them. That kid seems really upset, so I'm going to pick them up and hold them a little bit so mom can talk to the doctor one-on-one. So some of those little actions just help remind our patients over and over again, you're a whole human. You're not just your chief complaint here. You're not just whatever the prescription is going to be. We want to care about all of you. And that just builds um, a ton of trust during the visit so that when we start to ask some more deep questions, I mean, it's the most natural thing in the world for them to trust us. And so 
people often think like, oh, man, it must feel so clunky in the rooms to transition conversations. And there's some awesome little tips and tricks Paige has come up with over the years that make those transitions natural. But when you're loving people well in whatever environment you're in, like they want to hear what you have to say. You look yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just say that we've mentioned our core values a couple of times. And, and that's just something we've really drilled into our volunteers that are there so that they know why we're there and they don't lose sight of that mission. And the, the core values, it's the word CARED, C-A-R-E-D. And so it stands for compassion, accessibility, both for healthcare and the gospel, being relational and not just transactional like you would see at most healthcare facilities, doing everything with excellence. And the final, the D is for dignity because we believe every patient who walks Good. through has innate value and dignity. And Good. so we say, hey, we care because we've first been cared for. And so I think really driving that home with our volunteers helps them to keep perspective daily on why they're there and what their mission is to do. And so it's it's easy to love people. It's a lot easier than people think. And just a reminder, like, hey, church, the world is watching. And so sometimes it's sitting, just having that private conversation in the room with the single mom who's got three kids running around and is exhausted and loving her well. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's examples like uh, I was at the front desk one day and had a patient who very quickly became incredibly angry. Um, said some very hurtful things and I just continued to try to love him and be kind to him and he chose to walk out and give a couple hand gestures with it <laughs> and another patient in the waiting room saw all the patients saw this and one of them actually spoke up for me and I said you know it's okay that's just someone having a bad day and we're just going to pray for him and that he gets the resources we need and a couple months later I brought a patient back and as we're sitting in the room chatting he said I remember you mm. you were the one at that front desk when that guy yelled at you and I was overwhelmed by mm. how you didn't respond, yeah. how you didn't escalate and didn't match his anger and that you were just incredibly kind through all of that. And so it was just an opportunity to say, hey, can I tell you why? Because mm -hmm. that's not my natural reaction. Yeah, that's the fruit of this part. Uh, yeah. And so, <laughs> and it just opened I up a gospel presentation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 100%. I'm a Enneagram 8. I love to argue and I love conflict. And so that's not me at all. Um, and so it was just, yeah. it was just a reminder that like, hey, the world is watching and they all see our love, um, mm. even when they're the person not right across from you. Well, and that's true in the clinic. That's true when you're at the grocery store. That's true when you're dropping off your kids at carpool. Like every moment yes. of every day, the world is always watching and not in like a creepy way, but in a, hey, they're going to take note when you act different. Mm -hmm. It's going to be surprising. And that's important. That's important that we take that opportunity and that we run with it and that we use it as a, a time to talk to them about why. Mm -hmm. If you show up and you're trying to share Bible with them and talk about Jesus and you've been inconsistent yeah. in all the behavior leading up to that, that's confusing. That's and so true. Because if you had screamed at that man right back and mm -hmm. then you're like, all right, next patient, come Can back Can I pray with, with you? Yeah. you like, wait a second. <laughs> what? Right. It's so true. Right. So help us understand what you've learned about caring for people in the middle of a crisis. Because for our audience, they're not necessarily walking into a clinic every day to take care of patients. But we as people are in relationship and the people around us or even ourselves, we enter into crisis and it's just a part of life. And so what are some of the things that you've learned that might help them as they're trying to do the same thing and live out their theology? I think that Jesus is always the first step and any other kind of comfort is cheap comfort. Amen. So uh, it's easy to get distracted by the topic in front of you. So we see people that come into our clinic that would never step foot in a church. Um, mm -hmm. The LGBTQ community frequently comes to our clinic, Muslim men and women, Buddhist men and women atheists, agnostics, people that have been burned and hurt by the church. And so it can be easy in some of those conversations to get lost in the details of what does a Muslim believe? How do I respond to that? And really all you need to do in those moments is help make sure that Jesus is the answer, that you're not getting lost in the topic of abortion or the topic of transgenderism. You're asking them, hey, what do you know about Jesus? Who do you think he is? 
Do you see him as a source of comfort in your life? And so we spend a lot of time on that with our patients because it is tempting to, if someone's sitting across from you and they're telling you that they have a, that they're female and they have a female partner, it is tempting to start to want to nitpick that and talk through that and help point them towards truth on that. And that's not the first step. Mm. The first step is, hey, do you know who Jesus is? Can we explain to you who he is? He is accessible to you even in the midst of your mess. Romans 5, 8, right? Like you don't have to clean that thing up before he can love you. In fact, he says he loves you in the middle of it. And so, I mean, that's just the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So starting there and then. Well, and that gives people so much freedom. Yes. Like, especially in the realm of apologetics and feeling like yes. you always need to have a defense and you need to rightly understand what the other person believes. Right. I have to consistently remind people, hey, you are asked by scripture to give a defense for your faith, mm-hmm. not for theirs, mm-hmm. for your own faith. And so to be able to point people back to what you believe, that's all you've been asked to do. You're not asked to understand every argument of everything that's across from you. Mm-hmm. So that's freedom. But if you want to understand it, we can help. There are times where you need to. We have to. resources yes. for you. <laughs> yes. But, but with someone you've just met, point, but you write. not the first step often. <clears throat> to so, your point, it's just freeing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I think on that note, then the second step is it is tempting to provide other sources of comfort. So to want to fix it with, oh, well, I can find you a new job or I can be your answer. Here's my phone number. Call me whenever you have a hard time. And that's just cheap comfort. Like those are some things that the Lord has put in our path to help make life better. But that is not the ultimate solution. Jesus is the ultimate source of comfort. I'm going to fail that person. The job finding ministry is not going to be 100% perfect. They might still have issues with food insecurity. Those things are still going to come up. But if I can give them an understanding of who Christ is, he will be with them in every single moment of every single day, providing for their needs in a way that nobody else can. And so Second Corinthians just reminding them like, hey, the true source of comfort is going to be understanding who Jesus is. And again, I think we would be surprised how natural of a conversation that is. People are like Ecclesiastes 3, like we have eternity written in our hearts. They're suffering and they're striving for some kind of a eternal truth like that. So we are walking around with the answer. And for whatever reason, because culture has scared us, we think we can't share that answer. And it's like, no, no, Jesus is the answer 100% of the time. <laughs> it's not a Band-Aid. It's not frou-frou. It's not a side piece to your life. It is the core foundation to it. Mm. So those would be some of my quick thoughts on. Yeah, I agree. And that's definitely what we try to teach our volunteers too, is that like, hey, we shouldn't get so caught up and care only about the crisis, only about the issue, only about the struggle if when that person dies, they're still going to hell. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we shouldn't have to send people to church for them to hear the gospel. Mm -hmm. They should hear it right within our walls. And so we partner with all the ministries here at Watermark and love to send our patients to them for a next step. Um, but before they get there, I want to know that, hey, I want you to know why you're going there. And it's because of Jesus. And I want you to encounter him here today and know that there's another place to get to know him more and to continue to find that hope in him. What I would say is just how do you respond in crisis is be the greatest question asker in the world. Ask questions. Um, people want to be heard. They want to be understood. And I can share scripture through questions. I can share the gospel through questions um, in a way that doesn't feel forceful to them, but makes them feel understood and heard. Um, and that brings in that hope. And so that's one thing I, I always tell our volunteers is, hey, when you go in, finish the medical intake and all that history and ask one extra question. Mm-hmm. That's Good. not about what they're there for. Yeah, I think doing apologetic stuff and just being a Christian and a human <laughs> is to ask people questions, but to ask them in a way that isn't trying to lead them somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, just listen. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you can feel like, oh, this is just another tactic you're trying to use right. to get me to X, Y, or Z. But I, I've found that when you ask a question and you genuinely care about somebody who has dignity, who's made in the image of God, that when you actually just listen and care, I mean, that opens up 
so many avenues for deeper engagement for for a, for a true like friendship with somebody who matters to God. And I mean, there's some specifics to kind of just even expand more on that question. There's specifics that we try to keep in front of people, of like how to be a good listener, like you're talking about Nathan, how to make eye contact in the medical community. A lot of times you are in and out of rooms really fast. So we really emphasize sit down, have a longer conversation ask good questions like so there are those pastoral gift items that you can encourage people in um, but really just comes down to loving them well and one last thing I kind of want to say on that is like I'm not saying Jesus is the answer to frou-frou issues like we sit across from people that have been in sex trafficking people that are in the middle of um, fleeing their home country because of terrorism, people that have been abused and tortured from their home governments. Like these are probably some of the worst things the world has to offer. And you sit across from that and Jesus is still the answer. So it's not just like, oh, you had a bad day. Jesus, No, the worst moment of your life, Jesus is still the answer. Yeah. We like to say around here is if the message that you're communicating is not applicable for somebody in Syria right now Uh or in Afghanistan or in the underground church in China or wherever, Like, think of the worst possible situation. If the message you're communicating is not applicable there, then you're wrong. Yeah. And that'll (laughs) filter out prosperity and all that real fast, right? Yeah. Well, I think that one of the most tangible things we can give our listeners right now is just slow down. Mm -hmm. Slow down enough to be willing to engage with somebody. Because everything that y'all were talking about is like you even said in the medical community or in and out of rooms, well, in our lives, we're going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And we rarely take the time to slow down and to not only ask a question, but to be willing to listen to the answer, which takes pause Mm -hmm. and which takes putting your schedule Mm -hmm. over to the right and not worrying about it. And setting your phone aside. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It's just those small things. Uh, And to be willing to Give them the hope of the world, mm-hmm. which is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I realized a while ago that we didn't really talk about the story of the clinic. You kind of told a little bit mm-hmm. about the clinic as you introduced yourself, but just help us understand how did the clinic come to be? What needs were we seeing in the city? Why did you choose the locations that you choose and who are you serving? We were in partnership with somebody, weren't we, that was kind of looking at it already. Yes. So tell that story. Absolutely. So um, I think a few things converged. One, we go to a church that is constantly encouraged to go be the church out in their day in and day out. And so one of our members named Matt Bush, who is a principal within a company called Quest Care, was sitting at a board meeting and they were talking about, hey, we've had a good couple of years. How do we give back to the community? Should we ever do a charity clinic? And he kind of raised his hand and said, hey, I think my church would love to help with that. And I'd love to help too. So he was kind of that um, link point between Quest Care, which is a for-profit company that helps launch clinics around DFW. They also place providers in ERs. So they've got the medical expertise. They know how to structure a clinic. They know how to function in all those arenas. Um, that was the link between them and then our church body, which wants to go love people in the midst of difficult situations. And, and so, we have really gifted members. And yes, and that was another piece of it is the idea came forward um, from our survey we do for our members every year. We are able to determine, hey, we've got a large percentage of medical professionals, so there'd be significant opportunity to mobilize our church through this. So as we look at new opportunities in the city, we're always kind of looking at those things. What is the need? What is the biblical mandate or call on us? And then what is the opportunity to mobilize our people. And so the clinic became a really strategic intersection of those three things. So back in fall of 2013, that kind of launched and we opened our doors. They recruited their first round of staff and volunteers to help lead it. 
It was also a great chance for our construction people, our members that are in construction to use their gifts as well. And so we had real estate agents, architects, construction management firms all donate their time. Things like the lighting in the ceiling, the paint on the walls, um, supplies in the bedroom, all of that was donated through members that said, hey, I do this for a living. How can I help out? Love it. And so that it's just a very tangible example of what you see us called to do in scripture of love the city. Mm-hmm. And so that opened in the fall 2013. And honestly, I think if we were to be honest with the world, it was a little bit of an experiment. Watermark was kind of like, okay, let's see what happens. Um, <laughs> well, that's the way we operate. <laughs> it yeah, is the way we operate. Very, very true. Ready for our aim. I've learned. Yes. Um, <laughs> so the experiment went great. Um, when you put God's people in the city in the midst of needs, of course, that experiment should go well. Um, he wants to serve the city through his people. And so just two short years in, we saw numbers skyrocketing, amazing stories coming out of it of Muslim men and women meeting Jesus, people finding hope for the first time, jaded believers coming back to the church, crazy stories happening in our walls. And so just continue to say as leadership, hey, what's next? How do we, it seems like the Lord is wanting this thing to move. Mm-hmm. And so we, and the next couple of years, continue to add staff to allow us to increase our volume. So the Skillman Clinic is around 10,000 patients per year. We're currently in the middle of increasing that up to 15 with a new staffing model. So we're always looking at that. How do we get more efficient um, at doing the ministry and expanding the ministry through that building? And then back in around 2017, we said, hey, we think that there might be opportunity for us to add a second location. And so that made a lot of sense to do in partnership with our Plano campus. So while our first clinic is right close to our Dallas campus, the second one is up in Plano next to our Plano campus. Because so much of what we do, as you've heard, is important to link to the local church. So Mm -hmm. we didn't want to have a clinic 30 miles from our church campuses Mm -hmm. where we're telling people, hey, go get over there for help with this ministry or whatnot. So we launched that last year, and that's been running for the last year, and they're continuing to grow in their numbers similarly. And then really, I have learned in my role the last handful of years, I have a lot of plans that look like five-year plans or, hey, in the next three years, we'll be able to do this. And God just seems to disagree with those. How about and, tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when, I came, up a little. <laughs> so when I came on, I was like, mm, maybe like in five years, we'll talk about a second location. And it happened in two and a half. Yeah. Um, and then we're like, okay, well, maybe we can start talking about other service lines. And the writing just continues to be on the wall that he's like, hey, I, I want this to grow. Mm. And I have the people to do it. And here's the resources to do it. And so in some really miraculous ways, the ball has been pushed down the court to where we're having active conversations now of, hey, what do more clinics look mm. like? What do other service lines look like where we really get to shift our vision to, hey, we're not just running two nonprofit clinics. We're thinking about how do we solve the gaps in healthcare in our city? And so we're looking at adding different service lines and a mobile unit and all that in the next probably 18 months. So as far as how can you pray for us, pray for that. (laughs) Pray for all of that. Pray for sleep in the midst of that. (laughs) Can I ask if anyone else is doing what y'all are doing? Mm. That's a good question. Uh, there are a lot of amazing nonprofit clinics throughout the United States and some especially here in Dallas that we refer to for a lot of things. A few things that make us very unique is the urgent care piece. That was a result of us seeing a gap in healthcare abilities in DFW. So someone who is maybe living paycheck to paycheck and doesn't have health insurance, if their kid gets strep throat or pink eye, Uh, their options are pretty limited. And a lot of them end up in the ER because any of the nonprofit clinics they're going to try to go to are primary care. And most of them run appointments out and they're already overwhelmed. So you can't wait four weeks to get pink eye treated. And so they end up in the ER and they're paying way too much for the services that they didn't need to go there for. And this ER staff is being utilized for non-emergent issues. And so it's just not a good fix. And so that was the first gap we stepped into was, hey, there needs to be a low-cost nonprofit urgent care option. So the urgent care piece is very unique and it 
makes sense that it's unique because it has been very difficult to figure out. When you kind of open your doors and say walk-ins only, and there are a lot of people who need walk-in care, uh, that has been a constant thing for us to manage and a big part of Paige's job to help us figure out how do we do that better? How do we make that experience better? How do we manage the fact that there's more people than we're going to be able to see on a day? So that's one thing that makes us very unique. And then the second would be the volunteer impact that we have. And so we do not staff fully. We intentionally leave spaces in our operational team for volunteers to fill them. And so on average, our volunteers at a clinic will fill four to five staffing roles. So that's part of what lets us run low cost is we're not paying four to five salaries. And it's part of what lets us make healthcare accessible to our patients. And then it really, um, people you know, are always looking for the secret sauce when they come talk to us. I think that's the secret sauce is that the church is sitting in the room, not just Paige and Christy and whoever is paid, which we're the church, but you're letting the body of Christ come and figure out how to Mm -hmm. share their faith Mm -hmm. and to put in practice what they're hearing and learning on a Sunday morning or in classes at church. And I think the Lord loves to work through that where you've got someone walking in super timid, like Paige did, or like all of us did on our first couple tries of like, can I do this? And then you see God move through it and you realize, oh, like the Lord can do this through me. So I love it. I just got chills. <laughs> That's awesome. It's a pretty cool place. I'm it not going to lie. Cool. We feel pretty lucky we yeah. get to be there. We, Christy and I went to a conference a couple of years ago for other charity clinics. And when they got to kind of hear about our model and one that we're doing urgent care blew their minds. And then when they're like, you have 150 volunteers who keep coming back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing different? Mm-hmm. And we said, we are trusting God with this and letting mm-hmm. him drive the ship. And yeah. so that has blown people's minds. And yeah. it still does day to day that I'm like, I can't believe they keep coming back. Yeah. So. And, you're, and you're deploying them. Yeah. They're, they're not just coming to be no. like, here, do this over here. Correct. Exactly. It's like, hey, we're going to train you. We're yes. going to empower you. We're going to walk with you. It's the whole Hey, watch me do this for a little bit. Then I'll watch you and help you. And then you go, then yeah. you go train somebody else, yes, you know? Exactly. And that's where you see stories like pages multiplied times those 100 volunteers. I mean, that's one of the things that I think both of us love the most is you see stay at home moms who are like, I have a little bit extra time. My kids are growing up. I'll come serve in the front desk. And then over time, zoom out three years. They're going to Haiti with us. Yeah. They're awesome. engaging their tennis team at home. They're talking to their neighbors different. They're, they would say with their words, they're a better mom and wife because mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. And so, it's, I mean, it just makes sense. It's what God has asked us to do. And we just get to be this little microcosm of seeing it play out. Yeah. Nurses who come back and say, I prayed for a patient last night before he went in for emergency surgery. That's the first time I've ever prayed mm-hmm. outside of the clinic for a patient, you know, or they've started a Bible study with some mm. of their own coworkers yeah, and different yeah, things. Yeah. And so, and that's what we want them to see is like, hey, this does not live inside these four walls. This yep. is just a training ground for you to learn to do this every day. And, and they are, and it's amazing. It's almost like faith without works is dead. I think I read that somewhere. Maybe. <laughs> that sounds familiar. familiar. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, hey, uh, we are, are we, are we done? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm looking at conductor Karen over there. Well, hey, uh, you guys join us next week as Christy and Paige are going to be back and we're going to keep talking faith in action. I'm choo, excited. Choo. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> choo, choo. <laughs> that was perfect. Thanks for listening to the Equipping Podcast. As always, tell your friends, share this with people. We want the world to know, or at least a few more people to know. <laughs> that might have been too too much of a big vision. That's okay. We're hey, trying. Aim high. One person at a time. If you have questions or something that you want to hear in the podcast, email us at equippingpodcast at watermark.org. We have received a few emails now, so yeah. thank you. Yeah, no, gotten some good recommendations. Yeah. Seeing some traffic there. Woo! Awesome. We're oh. loving it. Yeah. All right. Bye. Peace. Peace.